The younger children can be dismissed to junior church, and those six to nine can come and get some of their sermon clipboards up here in the front pew if you want to get those. stages in life when we reminisce and reflect back on life, milestones reached, um, anniversaries, birthdays, funerals, retirement. For me, recently working on StoryWorth, the, the gift my children gave me to, and my wife to answer questions for a year and putting together photo albums this past winter brought back memories of people and events and participating together. And this Memorial Day weekend is a day set aside intentionally to help you remember. To help you remember some important things. The sacrifices of others from which you have benefited. Uh, the values of what's important, what's worth uh, living and dying for. And also a faithfulness. Those events are intended to remind you and to motivate you to faithfully serve and stand for what is for what is important. And even this morning as we also would prepare and participate in communion, it's a reminder and a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for us and our responsibility in light of that particular sacrifice. So in Romans 16, starting with verse 17, Paul shares his parting words, and I want to use them to share my parting words with you. Um, and so as we, we think along those themes, the first thing you see in this passage is Paul writing, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. There are always people in the church who have their own agenda. They're more interested in their own ideas than in God's word. And so one of the patterns you see in that is they move away from scriptural authority. Uh, the standard becomes subjective. It's all experience-oriented. Um, we don't deny people's experience, but you always have to interpret what that experience means in light of, of scripture and interpret it by scriptural authority. And so Christians have to be prepared to deal with false teachers and people within the church who claim to be Christian, but who deviate in some way from an essential truth of the gospel. And so one of those essential pictures is the authority of God's word. It's our sole authority for faith and practice, and, and we ad adhere to that, even when it's not politically correct, even when it doesn't fit where society is. We stand on that authority and need to protect it. Second thing he describes there is that the people are self-serving. So not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetite. Isn't it interesting how often religion is used for self-indulgence? It's used almost to um, justify almost any kind of, of behavior sometimes. 
And so there becomes a focus on our own pleasure, ease, or material blessings. Uh, and so people talk about the Lord, but they don't serve him. The focus becomes on themselves rather than on God. They, they'd like to draw in their own following if they're a leader in that type of, of group. Uh, and they tend to cause division in the church. The interesting challenge is these are often very gifted and charismatic people that draw people in. And, and in the process, they attract people and they tell them what they want to hear. And so it begins to, to draw in that kind of attention. But what happens in the process is a deception where there's often a focus on methodology or works rather than on grace. Often using good-sounding religious biblical language. Uh, one of those could even be the term faith. The focus comes on how much faith you have. And, uh, you know, if you just believe it strongly or you can name it and claim it and, and those kinds of things where the focus becomes on uh, your faith rather than what your faith is grounded in. Becomes an emphasis often on fervor or zeal, excitement, sacrifices, the, the enthusiasm of, of the moment. And there also becomes a focus on technique, a focus more on methodology rather than on God. Uh, you know, if you just follow these patterns or do these things, you can get God to give you what you want. You've heard me say in the past off and on, many people look at God in prayer like a vending machine. If I just get the right price and put the right coins in and I push the button, I get what I want. That's not what prayer is about. And yet, it's often certain methodologies. If you just follow this method or do this thing or repeat this thing, then you'll get what you're after. And notice how in all of those things, the reality is the focus becomes on individuals in our desires and away from God. So be alert to and identify the danger and the people promoting it. It says avoid them. Don't let them get a foothold in your life or in your church. Second thing he says in verse 19, everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent what is evil. Um, and so that church in Rome had a reputation, a reputation of faithfulness to the gospel and the word of God, not only in their teaching, but in their daily practice and in their lives. An obedient lifestyle must always follow sincere faith in, in Christ. Your lifestyle has to back up the, the message that you say you believe and are putting into practice. And again, I can say I appreciate the faithfulness and stability of this Congregation, rejoice over faithful servants of God. But we need to remain diligent. We need to remain diligent in the understanding of our faith. Sound biblical doctrine that we know what we believe and we are able to defend it. And, and over time, what you have to t defend changes. You know, who would ever think some of the things that you're having to try to defend nowadays? Um, that would, and the more changes will come in the future. But you have to have sound biblical, you have to be obedient to practice your faith. And in this passage, he also adds those little words. I want you to be uh, 
wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Can you distinguish right and wrong based on God's word and the principles from God's word? Um, Different times over the years I'd had people say to me, well, you know, I can watch this and do all that because that's just the way the world is. It is the way the world is, but you ought to be wise about what is good and the evil part, you don't want to be feeding. You don't want it to be input and innocent about what is evil. There's an appropriate innocence that ought to be protected in our lives as we put those barriers in place. Verse 20 is an important little reminder here. It says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Aren't you thankful that you know God will prevail? Amen. See, we're involved in a spiritual battle. And don't you feel like you're losing sometimes? <laughs> I mean, I, I tell you every once in a while, I really appreciate the Old Testament prophets because we benefit and we read them, but we forget their world was falling apart around them. I mean, Jeremiah and Isaiah, their nation went to pieces. They end up wiped off the bat, but their God didn't change. And so there's a personal power, Satan, rooted in evil, is warring against us. We need the balance of being on a guard and aware of Satan's work, but not paranoid about him. You know, some people blame everything on Satan and they're, they're fearful all the time. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. I don't need to fear anything. I need to be on my guard. I need to honor the Lord. I need to be faithful in that process. But the promise of victory undergirds the fight of faith. The, the enemies of God will eventually be crushed. The great deliverance Christ wrought through his death and resurrection sealed the deal. And the victory is, is promised. And it's God from whom the power comes. But notice what he says in this passage. He says, we'll soon crush Satan under your feet. In other words, the power is God, but he works through us in that process of defeating Satan. And the resources of God who creates and maintains peace are ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can enjoy peace even in the struggle because the God of peace has promised victory and he is greater and, and so he's calling us to, to, to faithfulness. Uh, and so the victory is promised by the God of peace and his enabling grace. Don't you like some of those good biblical names you get to read in this passage? You heard any of those names in your neighborhood lately? Erastus and the different ones um, that, uh, you know, it's interesting the trends that names go through and, and the different things. But what Paul is doing, and not just he, but his fellow workers are exchanging back and forth. Uh, they use the simple word greeting, but it's really a thank you for being faithful fellow workers. The value of ministering together for the Lord. We need the encouragement and faithfulness of, of fellow believers. One of the greatest dangers of COVID and its continued danger is the danger of isolation and distrust. 
that in that process, we don't respect each other, we don't make sacrifices to commit, to remain connected, and uh, it becomes a, a focus again where Satan can use something like that to divide a church, isolate people, and cause you to grow cold in your faith because you're not interacting and working with and participating with other believers. You need to stay united and supportive of one another. Keep connected with other believers. We have different gifts and different abilities and different ways to serve, but we can enjoy serving together. It's interesting as you read this little list, some of the things the different ones were recognized for. You know, the one guy, he's, he's the scribe. He's the one that's writing the letters. Maybe, you know, some of you are great at sending out cards or sending letters of encouragement to people. This guy's job was the scribe. You know, he wrote Paul's letter for him. Paul signed it at the end, but, but he, he's the one that wrote it. You have Gaius, who's known for his hospitality. Paul enjoyed his hospitality, the church around that, the different things that he had done as a part of the, of the ministry. And... Uh, there's great joy in people that are willing to faithfully serve God together and appreciate our differences rather than let them divide us and separate us in that process. Then you come down to verses 25 to the end. And he says, Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations may believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. When you're involved in the life of church and ministry, one of the most important reminders is this is God's work. God's in the work of transforming lives. He uses people. You get to be a part of it. But one of the things you quickly learn in ministry, if I think I'm going to do it, it's never going to happen. I quickly would give up. The question becomes, am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I fulfilling my responsibilities? If I am, then the results are in his hands. And I could live with that. Might not happen the way I want it to or the timetable I want it to. But you've heard me say before, the only thing that can keep a parent and a pastor sane is to say in their mind, am I doing what God called me to do? And doing it faithfully. Because if I measure it today by the results today, I'll say I blew it. And I'll give up. But it's God working. And it's his, his work. And I get to be part of it. It's a wonderful thing to see people's lives transformed. And to know it's permanent. Because God did it. Because if it's just they got enthused about me. And you know believe it or not. There have been people enthused about me at different times. And they're around for about a year or so. And then they disappear. Because I wear off. <laughs> but God doesn't. Enthusiasm for God will, will last you a lifetime. But it's God's work. 
and the confidence is in God's ability to do what's necessary in people's lives. Notice, God has called people to faith and obedience to Christ, and he'll strengthen them, and he'll ground them, and he'll work, and you get to be a part of that process. It's also God's message. Paul says, my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, his gospel only in the sense that he was the messenger. He says, I'm bringing the good news, the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that you can be strengthened through God's word. God works through that gospel. And you have the opportunity to, to share it and to proclaim that, that good news. And part of that good news is that God calls people to himself. And it's described here as a mystery, what we call the mystery of the age of grace or the church. The good news of redemption for all people in Christ Jesus is the climax of God's plan, a mystery hidden in the past, but now revealed and made known for all to see. See, for them, it was the amazing picture that the relationship with God wasn't limited to the Jews and the people that had been called God's chosen people. Aren't you thankful that the mystery was revealed that there's salvation that's available to the Gentiles? And if we word it in our day and age, there isn't anybody in this world that God's grace can't reach to. We, we think that there's different, you know, well, they didn't grow up in the right place and they don't have the right, they, they grew up in some other religious background. They're in a place where the gospel can't be heard. Uh, no, God reaches into all sorts of places and people from all walks of life can come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because God calls people, um, it says there'll be people from every tribe and nation and tongue that will be worshiping and celebrating in heaven because God has reached all those places. So it's a wonderful privilege to share a message that isn't excluding people because they are poor or they grew up in the wrong place or, or all these different things. It's a message of, of hope of God's people. And the aim is obedience of faith. We see that unfolding, not just in the Old Testament, but today. People who were not his people are now the people of God. And then we see God's wisdom, the power and wisdom of God and his provision in Christ Jesus, his wise and wonderful plan of redemption for all the world. So thankful to be able to rest in the wisdom and power of God and what he has done and will continue to do. See, it is God in his infinite wisdom and power that provides salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He calls us and establishes us in the faith by the miracle of regeneration. The gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ are the means God has provided for enlightening and under, enlightenment and understanding that the Holy Spirit uses to draw us unto Christ. God uses faithful people to share that message. Aren't you thankful for the people that shared that message with you? From Sunday school teachers to a child club worker to a pastor, a neighbor, a 
So we have the privilege to be faithful people that can share that message also. But that requires guarding that message in sound doctrine. We've got, we've got to stand firmly on the authority of, of God's word and what it says. Uh, and be careful to not misuse it to protect our personal preferences or interests. But to always stand on the authority of God's word and remain faithful to it. And it's a joyous thing to know God will ultimately prevail. See, I don't have to worry about the final outcome. I just need to be faithful in the, in the present time. Uh, to serve, to be used, to be excited about what's going to happen. Because we want to hear his well done, now good and faithful servant. And both now and in eternity, we'll be with one voice praising God for who he is and what he's done. And that will never grow old. That'll be a celebration for all eternity because of who we serve and who we love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom and power. But we thank you also for your love. A love demonstrated to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we've been justified by grace in the faith in which we now stand. And we anticipate what is yet to come because of your promises and your faithfulness. So today as we come to this time of also remembering, remembering not only as a country's sacrifices, but remembering as the church of Jesus Christ, it's through Christ's sacrifice and death that we have been set free and enjoy new life in Christ. We rejoice in that hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your books to 52. Hymn number 52, To God Be the Glory. On the uh, third verse, the deacons can come and prepare for communion. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gates that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God. The vile 
best offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. So we come to this time, we were reminded, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Remembering who he is, what he came to do, what he provided for us and his taking on human form, willingly dying on the cross in our place to purchase our redemption and bearing the very foundation by which we become part of the family of God and able to share that together. So we were reminded in the scriptures to examine our heart and life. If you don't really know the Lord and Savior and aren't confident of that, you shouldn't participate in, in this because it's a remembrance of uh, those who have placed their faith in Christ, what he's done for them. It's also a reminder as a child of God, we ought to examine our heart and life and deal with, with known sin, confess and confront it in our life. Uh, that we might know the joy of fellowship with not only the Lord, but with one another because we're walking with him. And so it's important to have times when you stop and reflect, and that's, this is one. What's the basis of your salvation? Are you living out in the reality in your life the faith you profess? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are reminded in these symbols of the ultimate sacrifice. God the Son taking on human form, becoming the sinless Son of God and Son of Man. His body broken, his blood shed, his death in our place, purchasing our salvation. How thankful for we are for that truth and what it does for us in the sense of the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Help us to, with grateful hearts, renew our commitment to love you and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Also, the cup is a reminder. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. That just as the Passover lamb was necessary to preserve the life of the eldest child in Israel, the death of the Son of God was necessary to provide our salvation. And he died in our place. Father, we are amazed by your grace that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that you loved us even though we were unlovely, that you loved us unconditionally, that Jesus willingly gave his life to make us his own. And now we participate as heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ through his provision. We thank you for that hope. Jesus' name. Lose one on the way?
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Drink ye all of it. Let's stand. We're going to sing both choruses that we often sing. We're going to sing, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And then we're going to say, Blessed be the tie that binds. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and deep. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship of kindred mind is light above. You are dismissed.